So when was the last time you got knocked down? I don't mean physically necessarily, although that could happen too. I mean emotionally or financially or spiritually or relationally. When's the last time you just got knocked down? Doctor called and said the diagnosis for you or your mom or your dad or your children was not good. Or you found out a relationship that you were a part of was falling apart at the seams. You found out an investment you made or a business you went into was no longer viable or was plummeting towards failure. Maybe a job you've had for many, many years and you loved and loved being a part of was suddenly being downsized or phased out. When's the last time you were knocked down? You know, the truth is, over the last few weeks, we've been talking through this book of Ephesians about those statements about who we are in Christ and what Ephesians tells us about who we are in Christ. And it, it, for the past few weeks, we've looked at things like we are blessed and we are rescued and we are loved and we are cared for and we are appreciated. But sometimes life knocks us down, right? And in those moments, sometimes we react by saying, well, where is all of that now? God, I thought you loved me, but I guess you don't. I, I thought you were going to take care of me, but I guess you're not. And maybe you love somebody else more than me, or this is because of something I did, and I'm not what I was. But Lord, I, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why you're doing it. I don't know what's going on. And sometimes in the midst of that, what we're doing is we're assessing blame to one who does not need blame assessed. And we forget that there is a third party involved in our lives and the destiny of them. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to finish today. This past, these messages on the book of Ephesians, and we have walked from chapter 1 all the way. We're going to finish today. In fact, the first word of the passage we're going to look at today is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and it says, finally. And some of you are like, that is my favorite word. Finally, in conclusion, this is it. Paul has been building for chapter after chapter this understanding of who we are in Christ and what it means to follow Him, about Christ rescuing us and saving us and taking us and how we ought to live in response to that. And he comes to chapter 6, verse 10, and he's going to remind us that it's not going to be easy. Chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. That's why you have to take up the full armor of God. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day, prepared everything to take your stand. Therefore, stand with a truth like a belt around your waist righteousness like armor on your chest your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace in every situation take the shield of faith and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation 
the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. Stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak as I should. This is what I want to look at today. Over the last several weeks, we've been filling in this blank. And it's the blank that every week we've talked about. And it is the I am blank. What does Ephesians tell us about who we are? We have filled that with some really good words. And we've also filled it with some words that give us some responsibility. In fact, one week we talked about the fact that we are responsible. And we've talked about being blessed. And we've talked about being new. And we've talked about being loved. We've talked about being um, transformed. But today, Scripture reminds us and concludes. In fact, some people say Paul is building towards this the entire book is that we ought to be reminded that I am a warrior in a battle that is raging continually. We live in a day when through psychology and studies and science, we we, we want to dismiss those notions of things like Satan and demons and things that are outside of our understanding. In fact, I was watching something the other day that, that I think crystallizes the American view of, of supernatural things. How many of you like Scooby-Doo? All right. I'm a Scooby-Doo fan. All right. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Right. You might want to sing that for us. Good. All right. And I love Scooby-Doo. That's not a past tense loved. That is a current tense love. I, I love watching. It's one of those shows that when my kids say, Dad, can we watch Scooby-Doo? It's not a, yes, I'm going to put it on and I will go to the other room and wait till it is over. You realize, parents, there are those shows, right? Right? All right I, good. I, I'm not alone in that. All right? Scooby-Doo's not one of them. It'll, yeah, we'll sit down and we'll watch it. But here's what I realized. Every Scooby-Doo has the same plot. You realize that. Right? What happens at the beginning? What happens at the beginning of Scooby-Doo? They get in trouble, and what's going on in town or at the lake? There is some supernatural badness going on, right? Right? Are you with me? Okay. You know, y'all, some of y'all are looking like you've never seen Scooby-Doo. We're going to have intervention for you, all right? So there's some kind of supernatural. There's a ghost. There's a monster. There's a swamp thing. There's a yeti. There's some kind of big-time monster or supernatural thing you can't explain. And the whole episode is about Scooby and Shaggy and Velma and Daphne and Fred and the mystery machine trying to figure out what's going on. And they get in trouble and they get in chased and they get chased by these supernatural things. But what happens at the end? They unmask them, right? In every episode, there is... Now, y'all didn't think Scooby-Doo was this theologically deep, did you? There is a natural and human explanation for everything. There's no supernatural. It's some guy pulling levers. It's some guy shooting a hologram. It's some guy in a suit. They never get to the end and go, Whoa, you're right. There was something absolutely crazy and supernatural going on. Every time there is a natural and human explanation, right? And as Americans... Most of us believe that if we look hard enough, every situation and every moment will have a natural and human explanation. 
instead of realizing that sometimes we're caught in the middle of a spiritual battle. In fact, Scripture would say we are constantly caught in a spiritual battle. He says here, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, against the world powers. He basically says in there, the, the actual word translated for us, and they've changed it here, and I'll tell you why in a minute, is we wrestle against spiritual things. You know why they changed it probably? I didn't, I didn't talk to the editors, but why I think they thought probably changed it? It's because most of us in America, when we hear wrestle, we think wrestling. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Right? WWE, NWO, WCW. Memphis, when I was growing up, it was Memphis wrestling, right? Two guys come out in tights and jump on ropes and cage matches and pole matches and loser leave town matches and all that. That is not what is intended here, all right? Aren't you glad for that? Okay? But what is intended here is the wrestling that happens you see in like the Olympic Games, okay? And so in the Olympic Games, when they have wrestling, which they outlawed for a little while, but it'll be back sometime. You see them, what do they do? How do they wrestle? You ever watch that? How do they wrestle? There's nobody jumping off ropes, throwing elbows, right? What do they do? They get in there and they grapple. Hand-to-hand combat. Person-to-person, close combat. The word here is used literally of that competition and says that we are continually in a battle of hand-to-hand combat that is constantly going on. And the first step to kind of walking through that is to understand the battle we're in. Most of us are clueless that it's happening. Now, now you can take this to one of two extremes. The one extreme is to, to say, you're right, Pastor, there's a demon. Demons everywhere, there are people everywhere, stuff's going on everywhere. And you look for a demon or you look for Satan in every possible situation. You blame everything on Satan, you blame everything on the demon when you're making ridiculous decisions yourself. I mean, some things that happen in our lives are the enemy attacking us, some things are that we are dumb. Right? How many of you have ever made a dumb decision? All right, get those hands up. Let's see them. All right. We all have, right? I mean, more than we would like to admit, more than we will admit, especially to our significant other, all right? So it's not everything. We don't look everywhere. In fact, C.S. Lewis is famous for saying we make two mistakes. One is to give the devil and and his um, demons too much attention. The other is to ignore them completely. Movie Usual Suspects, there's a, a guy at the end that says the greatest lie that Satan ever perpetrated on the human race is that he does not exist. Those are the two extremes. In Ephesians, what has happened is Paul is saying, this is who we are in Christ. All that stuff we've talked about week after week, that's who we are in Christ. Then he says, this is how we're to live because of that's who we are. And then he says, but it's not going to be easy. It will be a struggle. It will be difficult. You're going to get knocked down time and time and time again. You're going to go to the doctor thinking everything's okay and he's going to say, we need to run some more tests. You're going to check your bank account and you're going to think, how in the world did he get that low? You're going to be in a relationship that you thought was forever and you're 
significant other decides it's not. You're going to kick a field goal thinking you're going to win the game. And the other team's going to return it 109 yards. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All you Bama fans, too bad. You're going to get knocked down, right? We have to understand that it's not... Sometimes we blame God for things that is the enemy's working. Now, does God allow it? Absolutely. God has to allow everything. But He has given Satan some freedom on this earth. Scripture says it over and over again. And we have to understand that it is a very real thing. One of my favorite stories about that is an author by the name of John Eldridge, who John Eldridge was writing about this house that he and his wife discovered and that they wanted and that they thought this is the house that God had intended. In fact, they began, they had prayed through it for months. They found it. They had worked all the details out. They had already begun to talk about ministry, things that were going to happen. They were going to make a retreat center out of part of it. All these things were going to happen. They went and they put the bid in. They had talked to the realtor. Everything was good. They went to sign the contract that day and she said about an hour before this, somebody came in with a higher bid. The house is gone. He said, you remember walking out and he called his friend. He said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. This is our house. And he goes, well, that must be what God intended. It's what God intended. You'll, you'll find something else. And he said, I thought about it for a minute. And I finally said, you know what? God will help us find something else. But I don't believe that's what God intended at all. I believe God intended for us to have that house. And some decisions were made by people and Satan working some things through that caused us to lose it. Now, I'm not saying, he would say in the book, I'm not saying that God can't work it out and bring something better out of the situation. But everything that happens in life, God doesn't directly send to us. We have an enemy. And we are at war. And in the midst of the enemy's attacks on us, by the way, I'll tell you this, this is another place where it'd be good if they had a southern version of the Bible, all right? Because in this passage, we often read it and we hear all these things. You stand firm. You do this. You put on the belt of truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the helmet of salvation. And we think, me, me, me. But the truth is, the actual understanding of that is y'all. It's a collective group. Y'all are in a battle against spiritualities and principalities and things not of this world. It is not you going it alone. It is y'all. In the midst of understanding the battle, we must then know the resources that God has provided. That's what I love about this passage. It says, you need to put on the full armor of God. Whose armor is it? God's armor. Now, I'm not going to bore you. There is lengthy discussion about the Greek understanding of of God there. Here's what I'll tell you. It's God. And He gives it to us to use. He's protecting us. He's helping us. He is providing things for us in the midst of the battle that helps us at the exact moment we need it. Anybody seen the Hunger Games? Yeah, all you, all right? You know in the Hunger Games, in the books and in the movies, when they're in the middle of the thing, how many of you have not seen the Hunger Games? All right, y'all just go to sleep for a minute, all right? Go into the sauna coma for a second, all right? But we'll talk right here then. All right, you know in the Hunger Games, when they're in the midst of the battlefield and everything's going wrong, and they'll 
the little thing will fly in, right? From their mentor, from the previous victor, right? It's exactly what they need at the right moment. God, in many ways, now he equips us to do stuff all along, but part of this understanding is, is that he is constantly monitoring the battle. And when we need help, he is there. Providing for us exactly what we need when we need it. With his strength that is mighty, we are encouraged. Now it says that we ought to be prepared on a regular basis to know the resources he's given us. And it tells us all these things. And here's what I want you to get out of your mind for a minute, okay? I mean, I could put up a picture of a Roman soldier and we could go through all the pieces of the armor. But what you're going to do is then you're going to imagine yourself dressed in that and it may not be pretty, all right? And so we're not going to do that, all right? We're going to just talk about the, the underneath stuff. There is a picture Paul's using here that they would recognize. In fact, most people think Paul was chained to a Roman soldier and so on. As you're looking at the Roman soldier, you think it's the helmet, the helmet, the helmet, the helmet of salvation. It protects us, our thoughts and our minds. Oh, and he's got on that, that, the, the belt, the belt, the belt of truth. That's what that holds everything together. But he says to him, he says, listen, you're in this battle, you're in this war, and you're not alone. You've got all the stuff we've already talked about. He's got the belt of truth, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, of what He has done, of what, who He is in, who you are in Christ. Don't forget that Jesus has saved you. Don't forget that you are the one that knows the truth and the truth shall set you free. You see, Satan is going to attempt to fill your life with lies. And here's what Satan knows. You don't have, it doesn't have to be true to be powerful. It just has to be believed. I mean, think about this. If you go to a doctor and he says, I think you have cancer, but the tests are inconclusive at the moment, what do you automatically believe? Yeah, it's got powerful words, right? Imagine if I walked up to somebody out in the hallway and I walked up to a guy and I just said, hey, listen, uh, I just got some information and uh, found out that um, your wife has been with another guy for a little while. Now, it may not be true, but it's powerful. I'm not saying I'm going to go gossip, all right? But you understand what I mean, right? Things don't have to be true to be powerful. But when you hold the truth, you can break the power of the lie. And he says, you have the truth of who Jesus Christ is and who you are in him. Some of you have been fed and believed so many lies that Satan wants you to think about who you are, that you no longer can see your identity in Christ. One of the things you can do is you can put a, just make a list. And the things you believe about yourself, put a column that says truth and a column that says lie. Truth according to God and lie from Satan. And as you begin to write things down, I mean, think in your mind. Would God actually say that about me? And what you'll quickly see is a lot of things you believe to be true and have power in your life are not true. Walk around with the truth of who you are in Christ and live a life that is honest and true with integrity. Don't forget the breastplate of righteousness. And that doesn't mean the good acts that you do. Because the truth is our good acts are like filthy rags before Him. It is Christ's righteousness that is given to us. It is what Christ has done that changes us. 
It is Christ who cleanses us and makes us righteous. A couple of weeks ago, our uh, kids in, gospel, in the Gospel Project for Kids we were talking about Isaiah, Isaiah 6. and um, It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And Isaiah walks into the temple one day. It's after a tragic event, and the whole temple is shaking. It is cloud filling. It is smoke rising. It is going nuts, and he doesn't know what to do. And he says he sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne, and the train of his garment filled the whole temple. And Isaiah immediately says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And it says in the next sentence that an angel goes and gets a live burning coal and takes it and touches the lips of Isaiah, and he is made whole. Now what part did Isaiah have in cleansing himself there? Nothing. In fact, I know it's nothing because that's not how I would have chosen to be cleansed. What that, is there a bath over here somewhere I can do? Right? We are saved because of what Christ has done, not because of us. So this isn't righteousness that we've manufactured because we do good and we listen to the right music and we go to the right places and we don't do the things we're not supposed to do. This is righteousness that comes from Christ that allows us to freely live as he would want us to live with shoes that are ready to share the gospel at a moment's notice. The truth of who Christ is in our lives and what he has done for us and what he has done for the world. The fact that he has saved us. The whole story of Christmas. One of the things I love about Christmas is you can turn on a radio station that plays stuff that I wouldn't play in front of my kids. And during the month of December, they're playing songs about Jesus. Because it is such good news. And telling people, always ready, ready to share. This is what God has done for me. This is who He is in my life. This is what He can do for you. Shored up with the gospel of peace that brings wholeness to people in their lives. A shield. This is really... Uh, now, this is one of those images that you have to kind of, kind of get. If, if, you are, if you're one of the people who likes, you know, Narnia or... Middle Earth or that kind of war kind of stuff, right? This is the picture that they want you to get. You know, you see people in those movies shooting arrows, and the really good people always have what on their arrows? Fire, right? Because if they shoot an, a fire arrow and you don't have anything to protect yourself, guess what? You're, you're done, right? And in those days, they made these huge shields. And these huge shields would literally be as tall as you were, and they would put them over the top of them and get underneath them. So when they, people started raining fire arrows, they would hit the shield before it hit them, and they had this substance on it that would extinguish the flame immediately. And Paul says that faith, trust in the Lord and who He is and what He's going to do and the plans He has for your life changes everything about encountering the fiery arrows that Satan's going to put at you. Regrets from the past, mistakes that you've made, who you used to be, who you want to be, things you should have done, things you shouldn't have done. You continually trust in what Christ has done. A helmet that protects your thoughts and your mind from the things that Satan tries to put in. Anybody here ever been knocked out? I mean, not like what I talked about earlier. I'm talking about like playing football and you get knocked out. Anybody here? I just needed some support this morning, all right? 
I played football my senior year. I played one year of football growing up. And my senior year, um, the football coach came to me, and he, I, was in, I was in a couple of his classes in high school, and he said, hey, I want you to play football. You told me you'd like to play football sometime, but you didn't get it at the right time. And I said, I'd love to play. And uh, he said, well, I've got this thing this year where you can go out and play just special teams. Kickoff return, kickoff coverage, onside kick, punt coverage, and I'd love for you to come and be a part of that. I, you got the right mindset? I said, all right, I'll be there. And so about the second day of practice, we were doing punt coverage, and as I was running down the field with my assignment on mind, going straight down the field, my best friend was on return. And he was on the other side of the field. And as soon as the ball was kicked, he made a beeline for me. He called it my initiation onto the football team. And the thing, I don't remember him hitting me at all. What I remember is waking up and literally, I mean, you hear these kind of things. My, my helmet was turned. Like I was barely, one eye could see out of the face mask and one eye was in the ear hole. And there was this strange warm substance around this area that was not blood, all right? I think in the technical term is I got slobber knocked, all right? Out, down for a minute, all right? You just, I just think, you know, I look back on that and I... I uh, I did not get him back on the uh, football field because he was bigger, stronger, faster than I was. But you know, I look back on it now and I think, what would have been there if I hadn't had at least some sort of protection? The Lord says your salvation is that thing that is the ultimate thing that protects you. He gives one final resource. And he says it's the sword. Now here's what I want you to see. Now, there's a dispute about this. I choose to believe that this is the short sword that they would hold on them, that when somebody got too close to them, it was their last line of defense. I, I don't, it, wasn't a law, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't a samurai sword out there going after people, all right? It's a short sword. But here's what it is that you have to realize. It's the only one of the ones that's mentioned that is lethal, right? Everything else is protective by nature. The helmet protects... The breastplate protects, the belt protects, the shoes protect, the shield protects, but the knife, the sword, kills. What does it say the sword is? It's the Word of God. And here's the thing in this battle in which we are engaged. If we are not continually in the Word of God, standing on it, then we are falling behind. And we're losing the battle. It's the only weapon that we can use with lethal force to make it through. And here's what's interesting to me about this whole passage. It gives us all the stuff, the battle we're in, the resources that we have. And then it says this, you simply need to stand firm. Don't advance. Don't make a charge. Don't kamikaze it and go after somebody. Just stand firm firm right where you are and here's the thing for you i don't know what that means in your life but the lord has given you a task that you are to stand firm in for as long as he calls you to it and you cannot do it in your own strength he has given you a task maybe as a dad or a husband as a wife or a mom 
Maybe as a businessman. Maybe in your chosen profession. Maybe in this church. He has given you a position that your job is to stand firm and be the representative of God in the midst of this battle, doing what is necessary to advance His kingdom and to glorify His name by standing firm against the attacks of the enemy. Because here's the truth. The victory is already won. Right? I mean, it's not in doubt who's going to win this in the end. There's not going to be an upset. God wins. We're just playing out the long game of how God does it, using us, giving us the ability to participate in His victory. And He's called you to be a part of it. Now here's the truth. Some of you engaged this. Some of you are living. It's not a thing you have to get up in the morning and pray, Lord, lead me to battle today. Don't walk into your school and say, I'm here to battle. Your workplace, people think you're weird, all right? But it is this realization that on a daily basis, we are a part of something much bigger than just here and now. And some of you aren't. In fact, there's this kind of frightening story in the New Testament. It's found in Acts 19, where Paul is going around and Paul is healing people. Paul is casting out demonic spirits. Paul is doing all these amazing things. And some guys understand what's happening. And they, they decide, hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to go do it ourselves. And so they go out and they confront someone that is possessed by a demon. And they say to them, we demand that you come out in the name of Jesus and Paul. And the demon responds back. And he says, Jesus I know. Paul I have heard of. Who are you? That's kind of humbling, isn't it? You see, the goal, and this sounds crazy, because some of you are like, I'll be perfectly fine if the demons don't know my name. I'm good. The thing is, we want to be the people that are advancing the gospel on the front lines. We're not waiting back. We're not saying, I'll let other time people take their turns. We want to be standing firm where God has called us to stand firm. And so my question to you today is, are you doing that? Let's pray.